Hey guys, what's up and welcome to Dive Deeper. My name is Brad LaPlante and I'm here to talk about things that just need to be talked about. On this podcast, I'm going to kind of broaden topics like sexism, racism, misogyny, etc. Things that just need to have, I've been had discussions about. And that's why I'm really excited and I come from a background in music and music journalism and um, I'm very excited to launch this. This is the very first episode. I'm very, very, very excited. My first guest is Shelby Chargan, who is the founder of Girls Behind the Rock Show, which is an organization that helps empower women and helps lead women into better jobs in the industry, more representative ones. And just, we had a really good conversation about women in music, non-men in music, women of color, and just a ton of of good things to, to learn. Uh, Shelby is an incredibly uh, smart, intelligent individual, and I am really, really, really excited to uh, show you guys uh, what I have been planning, and uh, I really hope you guys stick around for future episodes. So uh, without further ado, here's the interview. Hey, Shelby, describe for us uh, Girls Behind the Rock show. Oh, that's a fun starter question. Thanks. <laughs> Go right out there with give me everything you do. No. Um, well, Girls Behind the Rock show essentially is a female empowerment nonprofit. And I, you know, I don't even like to say female at this point because we really are just all over inclusive for anyone who isn't a CIS het male for the most part. Um, we are a gender uh, equality inclusive nonprofit based around the music industry trying to create opportunities primarily for um non-binary young women non-men in the age age range of 18 to 24 while they're still in school discovering what they want to do with their lives to create opportunities for them um in the education space in music and entertainment that's awesome that's awesome so when did you uh when did you found uh i know i should have done research but when did you start or what gave you the idea to, uh, you know, start this? So that's actually a really interesting story. I um, was working at an online radio station, um, Adobe Radio, for a while. I interned there while I was in college my last semester. And I was writing for them. And then I came up with this idea. I was like, hey, I, I kind of want to start a podcast where we interview women in the music industry. And we were thinking of a name and I couldn't think of one. And Blink-182 is one of my favorite bands. And I was like, well, what if we said Girl Behind the Rock Show instead of Girl at the Rock Show? And they were like, sick, let's do it. So I did a season of that and I interviewed a lot of really great people. Um, and in, then I started kind of branching out to entertainment in general and arts in general. Um, I did a really great interview with Hannah Snowden, who's a tattoo artist over in England. Um, and I, you know, I got to do a couple really, really fun things. And then after that, um, I had moved to LA. I wound up parting ways with Adobe and, um, launching, uh, I wanted to do another podcast season, but it just didn't work out. And then I was kind of like, well, you know, a lot of girls came to me and told me that the podcast made them feel really included in the industry and I was like how can we cultivate more of this and create more of this and at the time me and my then partner were like well what if we made it into a nonprofit and raised money to help women who want to get into music and that's really how it started and that was back in 2015 so we've been around we'll be celebrating our four-year December 1st that's awesome that's awesome I'm really uh, I know there's a lot of 
you know, organizations uh, like yourself. And I think that, I mean, you're all doing, you know, great work and, uh, you know, providing some sort of promotion to help uh, women get more included. Um, what I noticed, I think, from from a personal standpoint, uh, it just up from observation, uh, is that a lot of paid photographers, like just photographers in general, um, start there, that a lot of the paid photography positions are generally men. And then a lot of the more like hobbyists tend to uh, be not, you know, women in in gen in a certain capacity. Like it seems like the more like industry, like almost like bigger jobs are going to men, and the you know less like more freelance positions are going to women. And I was just wondering if you think that that's true, or if you uh, you know, or why that is. Um, I think it kind of depends. I definitely think that in any um, professional situation, women are traditionally less paid, less employed. Like, that's just a statistical fact. So really what you're speaking is truth to fact in, in general sense. In specific for music photography, that's really interesting. Um, I guess it, it, it comes down to if you're talking about a touring photographer or somebody who gets regular work. Because from my understanding, the way I've seen it is I think girls get a lot more freelance work in general because one, freelancers don't as often get taken on tour. So there is a stipulation, a, a lot of people, about bringing women on tour, which is just total crap and just right. not an appropriate that's it's a whole different conversation but one that's relevant to this where it's like taking women on tour oftentimes is seemingly taboo mm -hmm. and what a lot of things that happen when you see female photographers getting hired or not hired is a lot in part of that taboo um and I definitely think that there's something to be spoken to it about the idea that a lot of young women come in without a mentor, without somebody telling them, how much should you charge? How much is your time actually worth? What are you supposed to be doing? And because they don't have that resource walking in, a lot of times they lowball their prices and that's why you'll see women get more freelance jobs because they're not charging as much because they don't know their worth. And that's just the reality of the situation. And from my perspective and from what I've seen and as, you know, we have a Facebook group of 6,000 plus young women and non-men looking to get into the industry. And that's, that's impressive. Yeah, and we've cultivated that and we actually started that a year after we started. So that's in three years we've grown to 6,000 people in there. That's insane. That's and insane. that's, you know, we, we monitor them too. So there are people who want to be in who aren't in. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to me because all of the questions that these girls have are tend to be what's my worth what should i charge what am i supposed to do with this how do how do i tell them i need to charge them more what if they don't want to work with me anymore and these are real things that people ask that young women tend to ask in these situations that i don't really know if men go through that same thought process i feel like men are raised to be like know your worth whereas women are raised to be like be polite and that's an institutional hazard that we get in this part. So I guess it's, like I, like I said, they're both kind of bigger conversations. But if you're asking specifically for photographers, those would be the two main reasons that I would say you see that discrepancy. 
Right. Yeah, no, that's definitely, uh, I could see that. I never actually uh, thought that or, you know, would have noticed. Um, that's really insightful. What, uh, one of the things I know with a lot of specific, like non-men, you know, uh, less men inclusive uh, organizations, I know a lot of people have somewhat of a problem with that. Um, but could you explain, I mean, I know the reason, but could you explain for us why um, it's important to have uh, certain like non-men inclusive, uh, you know, groups, whether it be like, uh, you know, websites, publications, whatever. Um, honestly, I think the easiest way to explain this is to dial it down from the Me Too movement. When you have men in power who aren't checked, who don't look around them and see women as people, as colleagues, as people who they value in a way that is an objectification, you oftentimes see that portrayed in the work and the representation. And then it's basically just exploiting young women for money when it comes to the industry. So we're so when we talk about raising women up in the music industry, it's not just because, oh, we want more women in it. It's because 70% of your income is coming from girls ages, I think it's like 8 to 28 or something like that. It's mm -hmm. this age range of young women that make up the primary 70% of all entertainment industry income. And a lot of people don't realize that when you have 50-year-old men marketing to 15-year-old girls it doesn't read right a lot of the time. And while, yes, they'll eat it up, they'll buy it up, you're still utilizing someone when you don't understand their, their walk of life. It's kind of like the exploitation movies in the 80s where it's all of these white writers saw this um, influx of money from people craving black led movies and instead of doing it right and hiring black writers they just made fun of it and it became a huge problem and then the birth of representation and proper representation in television and movies was born and it's been a really long fight and for a lot of female representation specifically women of color too which is a bigger problem in the industry than just women in general you're seeing kind of the same thing where our the I, I I've always made the joke where it's like the girl power investment of the 90s created the feminist movement of the 2000s. What these men did was they saw a trove of money in female empowerment songs. You had Britney and Christina and Beyonce and the Spice Girls and 3LW and I mean Brandy and all of these insanely talented Monica, Aaliyah, like I can go on, the list goes on forever. Uh, this singing, these super positive empowerment, you can't control me, I define myself, I'm my body. And then they didn't realize that Girls weren't just listening to this message. They were resonating with this message. And then you saw that come up in now they wanted to work in music. Now they wanted to see what happens. Now they were more interested. They had more say. They want to have more say. And so I think it, it comes down to the fact that you need to have, if you're selling to a market and you're not part of that market and you don't have people around you who are, eventually you're not going to know that market anymore and they're not going to respond well. And that's where you got the birth of the giant Beyonce, Ariana, Selena, Taylor fan bases 
because and even when it came to One Direction, they were very outspokenly feminist throughout their the majority of their time. And one of those reasonings is because they saw the value of valuing young women. And I think that's really what we're aiming to do is put that value into real time, real stock and have those people have a seat at the table. Right, right, right. No, I, I agree. And I, uh, one of the things, like you talk about uh, representation and stuff, and one of the things that first comes to mind for me is, uh, I think, like festivals uh, and, and, not, not, and just tours in general, but I think mostly uh, festivals, a lot of people talk about the representation of a of women on you know touring festivals whether it you know be the list of bands whether it be the crew etc and a lot of people i think make the argument that uh which i don't agree with but they say that maybe there just isn't enough talent or uh i think that they just aren't looking enough um but uh how do no, you're you right i guess react to that it's it's frustrating because it's one of those things that's so institutionalized. It's like when you think about like Beyonce, for example. Beyonce has created an entire cultural movement on her own. And yet half the time people still defer to her as Jay-Z's wife. It doesn't matter what Beyonce does. In somebody's eyes, she's still Jay-Z's wife. And it's one of those things that it's institutionally ingrained in people's minds to say, oh, well, it's good for a girl. And that's just not the case. And so we're we're breaking down these like really big systematic stereotypes that come in. But when it comes to booking festivals and when it comes to that aspect of it, you have to look at the... You have to go from the top down. So, okay, great. You've got Cardi headlining. But Cardi went out and named like six different female rappers that people should be listening to. And did anybody sit there and start stunting for them right after? No. Now, are these women on their own getting their own recognition? Yes. But what she did was say... If you want to see more women, you have to support more women. And we're not seeing that from every aspect of the industry, which means from the agency level and the label level and the booking level, from all of those levels, we have to have a commitment, an active commitment to sign more women. But that also comes on the consumer where it says, if you want to hear more females rap, you need to go listen to more females rapping. And like I do. I go every week, I make sure that I go discover new female artists. I try to do this, I try to do that. Lately, I've been really into K-pop, so that's been ruining my life. But (laughs) outside of it, I really make an effort to make sure that, you know, we curate a new Music Friday playlist, a new Music Monday playlist every week, and it or every two weeks. And it really does remind me that there is so much music out there to consume to say that there isn't enough talent is just saying that you're being lazy. You're just not looking. Right, exactly. And even in general, when I, you know, just that, just to prove that that argument is, uh, you know, fake and facade, 
it's you know even like if you a lot of people like to say uh, and as a general statement like uh, I'm an Uber driver so I take a lot of Uber rides and a lot of when I tell them that I work in music a lot of the older uh, riders will say you know stuff like oh the music's just not good anymore well you're just not looking it's that same thing where you can find good female artists or talented not even like obviously good as a subjective word but just talented female artists like I've been really into uh, Sigrid lately or uh, you know and others and it's it's just it's just a matter of finding the, the right uh, you know your niche that you uh, you enjoy exactly and good music is such a weird term to me in, yeah. in general because like you said it's not just subjective it's completely personal preference right. like there's a, I I look at it and I'm like I'm a huge Beatles fan right but there are a few songs of the Beatles that I just sit there and I'm like how did this ever become a hit like why like this is objectively not a well-written song what were you doing and like I know the answer is LSD but it's still just kind of like why did you write this and you kind of get to a point where it's like you know it's it's similar in fashion to like any anything worth appreciating was not appreciated in its time you know there's that saying but Mm -hmm. when we look at music of today Music of today is absolutely the best it's ever been. Not necessarily because the quality of the music is the greatest, because, but because of the opportunity to combine things. Like, my most of my friends hate the song Old Town Road. I love it. Not because it's a good song, but because it created a cultural moment. And it created a moment that said, somebody who was a nobody can come out of absolutely nowhere and make a song that is now the number, the longest running single of all time. That's insane. I know. It's wild. And just because, you know, you don't think the song is good, that there is something about that song that resonated with that many people that many times to make it that successful. Right. And that's what makes music today so great was because he didn't have a label when that song broke. He didn't have all of this coverage when that's when that stuff happened. He did this all on his own and all of the extra came after. And that's an incredible story and that's something that wouldn't have happened 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So the industry right now is in a really cool place of rising up. And with that opportunity, we have the opportunity to rise up these voices that haven't been represented, specifically female voices, specifically black female voices. But just in general, we have the opportunity to really hone in on representation. Right. And uh, one of the things uh, I wanted to specifically, I think you mentioned uh, how powerful or uh, just how how big certain female artists are and how big certain... uh, like female fans can be because they're so dedicated, so loyal, even, you know, coining the term like fangirls, et cetera. That's a whole other nightmare. But uh, hey, I own that term. I'll I, that I mean, term I do, too. I'm going to be honest. Um, but uh, one of the things um, I really found, I guess, jarring was a Taylor Swift situation with uh, Big Machine. Is that what they're called? Big Machine? Yes. I've, so tired uh but big machine and scooter braun obviously buying out uh there and and uh taylor swift mentioned scooters uh abuse for years and it's i guess it's just insane to me that the most like this like taylor swift when she released reputation not only did it chart at number one but it 
was it outsold every other album from two to two hundred, like out of on that whole chart. And Taylor Swift is still dealing with this like abuse from other men. I guess I don't know what your thoughts. Uh, I think. So this is a tough one because at the very first I was like, yep, siding with Taylor. And Mm -hmm. I still stand by that she should own her masters. And I still stand by that. I do, I do believe that, you know, Taylor's treatment from men in the industry has not been great. Right. And that goes for any women in the industry. Like anyone who's been in it knows you got, you, you pay your dues in a way that men don't. Um, I will say that on Scooter Braun's part, I think this was a business acquisition. Right, right. And while, yes, I agree with Taylor's sentiment, I don't believe that this was as personal as she she felt it, just because oh, right. it is a business acquisition. He is right, a right. businessman. If you've ever read anything about Scooter Braun, he's a shark. He sees an opportunity, he's going to take it. Do I think it was completely innocent on his part? Eh, and speculation, I don't know. I can't say, I mean, there is that giddy feeling that I think any man would get who had artists constantly beefing with a number one female artist about buying her masters that, I mean, I'm sure he felt a little good about. But at the same time, I think that the real mistake here. And the real mistake in general for artists, even male artists under the age of 18 signing record contracts, is that there should be a stipulation in the law about any contract you sign for talent before they're 18 years old that it has to be revisited once they turn 18. That's, yeah, that's a good idea. And I know that's a whole separate conversation, but I know that that's something in the industry that not, I mean, yeah, it happens specifically to minors because they can't really like protect themselves over you know they're young they're you know the whole whole and their deal parents don't know what's going on and it right. specifically happens to young women more because young women tend to get signed younger because mm-hmm. the longer you look younger the more successful you are as a woman in this industry right. which is also another problem and another conversation right. but i do think that in this specific situation taylor had every right to be frustrated mm-hmm. about the way this happened and she had every right to be frustrated about the fact that it did happen do i think this was part of a systematic pattern i don't know again when it comes to artists that big everything is political i stand with her on owning her stuff i stand with her on being her own artist all of those things are extremely important especially for women especially for someone like taylor who made being a girl and having feelings and a very valid thing in the 2010s like she validated so much of the emotional abuse that girls go through as teenagers you you can't find a girl who doesn't relate to a taylor swift song even if they don't like her like she really did a great job of honing in on that stuff and i think a big part of it is that you know for a long time she was under a label who had a extremely conservative base and it didn't allow her because you know how it is when you're signed to a label your management and label company pretty much control the entire marketing of your album and you know what right you You can only present yourself a certain way exactly and i think 
she was caught between a rock and a hard place where she was stuck for six albums with a company who wanted her to be this very white girl next door where her internally she had a very different perspective of the world than what she was being forced to put out and that's very hard for a lot of people like I put myself in that situation sometimes and I could never you know represent something that I that didn't align with my values necessarily even if I'm being paid gobs of money it's very hard to put yourself in that situation right but when you're 13 and you sign a contract and you don't know what that means and you haven't seen enough of the world to formulate opinions and then you have somebody who's probably has a hand in dictating the way you speak things Mm -hmm. that's tough what I'm hoping comes out of this situation truly honestly is I'm hoping that Scooter Braun and Taylor are able to one resolve it I hope she gets the options to buy her masters back um but two I hope that we learn a bit more about what Taylor was actually going through throughout that time because I think a lot of the things is people claim that she plays the victim a lot which honestly sometimes can come off that way and I hate saying that because she she definitely is a very strong empowered independent woman who created an entire amazing catalog of music and she should not be discredited for that but there are things that she has done that could be seen poorly by women of color and I think that that's an issue that's constantly been brought up with her but again we don't know what she was or wasn't allowed to speak on. And that's where people tend to, especially when it comes to big female artists, you know, we look at them and we see them and we don't see what happens behind the scenes, who's pulling what strings, who's saying what, because when that kind of money and that kind of involvement is there, what people don't realize is there's a lot of mismanagement of someone's personal life of what they believe versus what they're allowed to say you know and it and there's so many things that come involved in with that so that's a really tough one to just there's it's upsetting for so many reasons because you know she got into this situation because she was a young girl you know she was marketed in a specific way to a specific audience for a specific reason and she was trying to break that and it wound up making her look bad and in the end she just kind of lost out on any opportunity to properly make up for it so I'm I kind of look at it in a way of like Taylor's a massive example of an institutional hazard that has happened over and over and over again to young women in the industry I mean you could even look at like before Aaliyah died, her story was crazy insane from the R. Kelly involvement to her uncle refusing to, you know, release her records to her uncle being the one to introduce her to him to controlling. I mean, there are so many things. And JoJo is another one where she signed a contract with the same record label that had Aaliyah when she was 12 and they kept her from releasing music for eight years. Oh my gosh. And so then she... Um, she owned the rights to her songs, so she went and re-recorded the masters because they refused to put up her first two albums on Spotify and dropped the songs last year. God, I didn't even hear about that. That's insane. Wow. Yeah, because she had to take her power back. Right. And it took eight years to get out of her contract. And she was just a kid, so... 
we're we're looking at this from a is this good or bad but it's just so much more than that it's mm-hmm. it's an institutional hazard that preys on minorities it's an institutional mm-hmm. hazard that preys on young women that preys on people of color in general in the industry specifically on women of color and it benefits very few and it's frustrating because there's a lot of really great people who work over at Scooter Braun who got dragged into this when they shouldn't have been. There's a really great group of people who work over there. Scooter hired one of his social media managers. He literally hired because she ran a Justin Bieber fan page. Mm-hmm. She was so good at running the Justin Bieber fan page that he was like, you get it. I'm That's bringing insane. you on. And he has cultivated a team over there of people who are just ingenious at what they do and so i don't like to fault sb projects or the company for that decision because it was a smart business decision but again at the same time a lot of times those smart business decisions come at the expense of an artist who poured their life's work into something right no i agree i definitely agree um i know that we obviously haven't talked much about uh people of color, which, you know, I don't have much experience with that, but is there some sort of like stigma with um, uh, women of color or uh, just specifically, and I know that I've, I have covered in the past uh, like rock music, um, that's kind of my background. And so I, I know that there's kind of a lack of that, um, specifically just people in co- of color in general. And I know like one, uh, one of the bands that I, I got into recently is uh, Jamie Coletta promotes Proper, who is uh, like a kind of like a DIY kind of band. Uh, and they're led by a front man who's, uh, I, think, uh, I think that's his gender. But regardless, uh, you know, person of color. So is there like a stigma with like rock music and uh, the minority community? Definitely. I think it's an it's an interesting situation because rock was birthed out of minority communities. The exactly. first strains of punk rock were actually down in Latin America in like 1962 or something. Oh, sure. um, and a lot of people don't know that, that that's re- really where the sound was first birthed. And then it was adopted into England and then brought to America. Um, but most modern music we've have can be attributed to the black community um it just in both scope history beats whatever including rock um a lot of the basis of rock was blues and a lot of basis of blues was gospel and a lot of the basis of gospel was unfortunately um the music that was made when people were singing for freedom when they were slaves and these are real things that have transpired in the history of music in America and it for black women specifically you see a and latin women specifically both of those groups you see a huge lack of representation in music asian women too honestly all women of color you see a huge lack of representation um in music specifically in rock mostly because rock is a completely white male controlled area it is run by white males it is promoted by white males the primary bands in it are white males and you are not and it's it's not a fault on white males but it is something that i think they need to think more about where it's like if you don't have a problem attaining something a lot of times you don't think about the people who do 
and the institutional problems that they could be suffering because they don't look like you, because they don't think like you, because they don't act like you. But I'm going to be really honest and say I have not found joy in new rock music in a really long time. I personally think that a lot of the things that made rock so great in the 70s was that it was rebellious in nature and 80s. It was rebellious in nature. There was the draft. There was the Vietnam War. There was reasons for people to be angry. We saw the birth of Roe versus Wade. There were reasons for people to be angry. And then in the 90s, you had Kathleen Hanna leading the Bikini Kill and the Riot Girls movement. And you had all these people. And even even the Riot Girl movement didn't have a lot of women of color in it. There was a whole other movement. I I forget the actual name of it, but there was a whole other movement by women of color at that same time going on in New York because they didn't feel included in that feminism. And while I don't think that that was intentional, it definitely wasn't thought about at the time. So we have watched all of these phases of rock just kind of slowly and slowly and slowly abandon the people of color who really felt and resonated with it in the beginning I mean if you think about somebody like Jimi Hendrix or Prince or even Michael Jackson they were the primary and um James Brown they were rock stars right and they had such an influence on all the other bands around them and all the other artists around them that you don't see that represented anymore in the rock music of today you see a lot of white men complaining about relationships and love and while I can listen to somebody complain about relationships and love all the time I right because I mean it's it's relatable but I mean still it's not it's not rock it's not punk it's not telling it's not looking at the establishment and saying fuck you for not getting it right again Uh because that's really what birthed punk and rock and that innate feeling it was anger and if the only thing you really have to be angry about is being turned down or having a bad relationship I mean I'm you know a 26 year old bisexual woman who's been mentally ill her whole life where in somebody like Neck Deep's discography am I going to un- feel that they understand me? Right. And so when you look at the people who are producing rock music, who are at the front of rock music, who are at the forefront of branding rock music, you're not getting people, I mean, who care enough to say, oh, maybe we should we, we know we have a lot of young female fans. We know our black female fan base is growing. Our Asian female fan base is growing. Maybe we should invest in bringing out a young black female rock band. Maybe they won't sell the tickets that we will sell, but this gives them exposure. And that's really where that decision-making lies. It's in the care of the people who have that control to say, we want to break this stigma. One of the things that I found the most interesting recently, I think, is uh, so one because I used to so I used to write for Substream, and back then I wrote with uh, someone named Molly Hudelson, I think that's how you say her name, and she was telling me about how she interviewed swimmers, I think, for a separate uh, project, but she swimmers is obviously a big band in the Bay Area. 
and they uh, are very much about like not I think one of the things that she said to me that stood out the most was that swimmers the the way that they are straight white males and that they take on this sort of situation is that they bring on acts that have that representation and they don't speak up for them. And I think right now, a lot of the time, especially with men in music or just in general, having this like Me Too movement, the reaction to the Me Too movement is always like, oh, hey, I respect women, you know, like I'm not sexist, you know, but these are issues. And I think that that's also a problem in a way because like it's not it's not about that it's about how they feel and about what's going on and that representation has to be it, the barrier has to be like knocked down yes and you know it's so funny we actually worked with swimmers okay um that was our first roadie for a day band okay and they are great right i we love i i cannot say good enough things about that band great correct people. and you know she's so right in, in that way where they kind of, they walk, they talk the talk and then they walk the walk. They, they say they're feminists, they are feminists. And it's not in their words as much as it's in their actions. You're always going to see swimmers stand on what they believe is the right side of history. And because, you know, we're not all perfect, they maybe not always get it right, but the point is, is if they are wrong, they'll admit they're wrong and they'll move forward. And that is something that you can't, not saying they've ever been wrong, but I'm saying like they're just that type of people. And you you can't put a price tag on something like that. It's, I went to um, an event called Girl School a couple years ago and I was at a panel about women of color and honestly, I had to become a better feminist. I, when I started this, I was a very much a white feminist. I didn't understand that there was a difference between what women of color and what white women go through. And it took a lot of patience on a lot of people to teach me. But really, I when I went to this event and I educated myself, that's really what changed things for me. And so I went and one of the things that resonated with me so much was I asked how can I help women of color? And they said, pass the mic. Shut up and pass the mic. Speak for them when it's necessary and when you are the only person who can stand up. Use your privilege wisely and understand when it's no longer your turn to talk. So you and I having this conversation, you're giving me a platform to speak on. So I'll speak on the issue of race the best way I can. I know how. Right. But again... I'm not a woman of color, so I can't completely speak to their experience. And well, of I can, course. And I can resonate and say, this is what I've come to understand and believe, and this is what people need to be paying attention to. But there's also, beyond that, there's this point of we, we understanding as humans that we are all learning and we have to get on the path that swimmers is on where it's like because we're learning and because we may not always know the right thing to say, we're just going to give the platform to the people who have this, this experience who do. And that's really what's so important. And I love Molly, by the way. Great person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. 10 out of 10. Um, 
what I know we've talked a lot about what's wrong, but are there any like anything popping up right now that regarding uh, women, women of color, uh, non-women of color, but are also non non men? Uh, I, that was a long way to say that, but yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, is there anything like good going on? You know, I I just think this, like the education, the people wanting to talk about it, the people being more interested. When we were at Bonnaroo, mm -hmm. you know, which was crazy. We got invited to Bonnaroo. Absolutely nuts. That's four insane. days, four days. And we did a class on promoting your music. And it was amazing. And people showed up and really showed up and had questions and were involved and all of this stuff. And it was just like... I was sitting there thinking, these are the moments. Like, these are the moments. That they seem like small moments. It may be 15 people in this room right now, but 15 more people want to be educated. And that is the important thing. And that's what's cool that's happening right now is with the access to information, with the internet, with the Me Too movement, with the pushing of this, with the changing of times, we're getting to a point where we care so much more about what's right than what's cool. And doing what's right is becoming cool. And that is the thing that's making me excited. That's really awesome. That's really awesome. I love that. Because I know the one of the reasons that I was inspired to kind of create this is, well, I, I watch a show called Adam Ruins Everything. It's on True TV. It's great, <laughs> you know, great time. But uh, Adam is has been like a really big inspiration for me. And one of the things that I wanted to do is uh, like there's certain there's a wide range of topics that I have vast knowledge on, but there's so many that I also don't have. Uh, so you know, it's it's limited. And so that was one of uh, the things that I wanted to do. And so there you have it. One more person trying to become educated. Uh, what do you have coming up? Like what, uh, like what does, specifically speaking on the Girls Beyond the Rock show, what uh, do you guys have coming up? What uh, kinds of like services do you do or uh, and so forth? Oh, I can't tell you. Why not? I want to tell you, but How I can't yet. <laughs> No, we've got some very exciting things coming up. We've got a we we were looking into a bigger partnership right now with some really cool people. Um, we're looking into funding right now, which is amazing. Um, also, not to be that person, but I'm going to plug our donation really quick. If anybody wants to donate, it's girls behind the rock or girlsbtrs.com/slash/donate. I totally know my own website. Um, <laughs> but we we are actually really looking into creating a lot more of those educational programs surrounding festivals touring um we're trying to garner the money the uh, ultimate goal for us over the next couple of years is going to be garnering the money to create our internship program where we house young women who want to live in new york la miami chicago um dallas and what's the other big one there's one more i forget seattle uh, for music industry internships. That's awesome. Oh, San Francisco as well. That we're trying to garner a program where we basically go in, you know, have a deal with a rent out a place, have two to three interns in each city uh, every semester and pay for their housing and give them a food stipend so that way they can focus on getting a job, not having to take out a loan in order to be able to afford to do this internship because it's 
the music industry is tough and it's not like other college degrees where you're going to walk out with a job. So we want to make that one less burden that young women, non-men have to worry about. Right. Um, because a lot of times, and a lot of people don't realize this, is women tend to not get into the industry the same way as men. And that's one of the reasons why I started Girls Behind the Rock Show as well. Because men, like we talked about the touring problem, a lot of the times men you see in the industry who sit behind a desk now were once a merch dude or a production runner or a tour manager. And they learned the business through that way. Never got a degree, never went to school. Some, A lot of them were even high school dropouts who sit behind a desk now because they learned business by doing business on the road. And they now have these positions of power and women don't have that same access because live touring and production is probably the hardest segment for women to get into, which trickles down into the larger parts of the industry. You see a lot of women in PR. You see a lot of women in marketing. You see a lot of women in like, female approved jobs but when it comes to promoting them to vps to ceos all of that kind of stuff it's a dramatic drop i think it's like 60 percent of the people who enter entry-level jobs in the music industry are women and then it drops to 30 percent at the mid-level and then it goes down to like 10 percent at the executive level oh my god yeah just thinking about that because yeah like i mean i want to say like for obsessions like half or more, it seems like the publicists that I work with now are women, but you know, you see them, but they're not getting that same access that men are getting. Yep, and they do a great job and they are incredible at their stuff and they are killing right. it and it doesn't, and them not having access doesn't take away from the hard work that they do. And that's that's another conversation that we have a hard, time with because a lot of a lot of times you know even myself women we tend to struggle with internalized misogyny a lot because we are taught a lot of things that we're not supposed to do that we see women doing that make us look at them as less or unprofessional or worse or whatever when really you look at a lot of the men in the industry and they're not in it for the right reason they don't care about what they're doing they're, you know, doing this to hang out with cool, famous people and they could care less about the music. And it's like a lot of times when it's a woman who does that, it brands all the women around her. Whereas if a dude does that, it's just, oh, he's that's just who he is. That's just how he is. And so we get a lot uh, we get a lot more from men, but we also get a lot more heart from ourselves. And that's also a, a, a statistic um, in uh, in general, where women actually promote other women less because they are afraid that if the other woman screws up, it will fall back on their reputation. Oh God! Because Wild. it's crazy. It's you're really. It's really set up for failure. As crazy as it sounds. And so when you see women who get promoted, who get to that point, you just have to imagine all the things they went through, all the comments that they ignored, all the times that they were brought down, all the things that were said to them. Even me being in this position that I am, now the small notoriety that Girls Behind the Rock show has, the amount of times I have been told that this isn't going to work or that I need to play the game or that I need to work with people I may not agree with. I mean, it's over and over and over again. And you just kind of look at people and you're like, 
Would you ever ask a man to not stick to his convictions? Wow. And it's crazy. And so, I, and I'm totally, I'm talking so much, but I, no, don't, that's, think, that's I don't think people realize how deep-rooted these issues are. Mm-hmm. They just think, oh, we need more women in the industry. Well, right, but as we do that, that's going to start inherently correcting a lot of problems that a lot of people don't care to correct wild yeah it's crazy and you discover that and you you get to a point where you're like okay you have to kind of make the decision of when I started this I I sat down with myself and I and there were many a nights where I got very depressed because I had to sit down and look at myself in the mirror and say you're gonna lose a lot of friends and a lot of people who you've respected are no longer gonna treat you well and that's exactly what happened because people don't like change and what I'm doing is calling for a change on behavior that people are very comfortable in that's 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 insane insane. uh wow I know like that's it's a very bold you know thing to do when you even like talking about just on a general political scale like a lot of the issues that you see in the news now with like you know, socialist issues or whatever, that's generally the thing is when people are afraid of something, they tend to, they, they don't like that, you know? And it's, I don't know, it's just something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because actually by 2045 or sooner, it's now the prediction is 2035 because of the birth rate in the uh, Latin American and Hispanic communities around here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually going to be a majority minority country. Which yeah, means, I was I was thinking about that. Which means that we are no like the 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 market share is going to drastically it is drastically changing and you're watching major corporations who were traditionally conservative 5 10 years ago become much more liberal in the way they market and in their policies and their practices because People who suffer from institutionalized sexism, racism, whatever it may be, you know, um, uh, sexual identity discrimination, they don't, they look for brands who support them as people. They are more inclined to invest in brands who care about their community's well-being. And that's one of, one of the things that I think has unseated rock as the biggest genre in music because rock stopped caring and hip-hop didn't. And hip-hop is now starting to like embrace the Asian community with all of this K-pop and K-hip-hop stuff going on. And you're watching, you know, the black community lead in a way that says we accept everyone we will fight for everyone as long as you fight for us back. And that is traditionally something they have always done that we, that the rest of the market just totally didn't pay attention to. That's insane. That's why I, wow, I just speechless. I have no, yeah, that's insane. I, I, over the past four years, I had uh-huh. to, to like seriously educate myself on all of these things. And yeah. not just because, oh, I want to know and I want to be a good, you know, 
position a person in position as power but because in the political climate we're in I had to understand what dangers were presented not just to me but to the people I love mm-hmm. and when that ha- when all of that happened and when everything when the new president got elected and when all of those things started changing I started realizing that like just because I didn't notice the problems before didn't mean they weren't there right and that is really something that becoming a minority majority country and becoming a more feminist country and caring more about these issues drastically changes and entertainment and music is the helm of those changes. People look to entertainment. They look to celebrities. They look to these industries as guidelines for what the next big thing is going to be. So if you start changing it in your faction of entertainment or music or whatever, that has a ripple effect on the way people market, the way corporations market, the way people invest in influencers and social media and all of that stuff. And that trickles down to somebody sitting in Kansas on their couch ordering something from Walmart. Like these are all things that are interconnected and we don't realize that. And yet it's something that is so important that we pay attention to. It's kind of like that scene in The Devil Wears Prada where Mm -hmm. Meryl Streep goes off on Anne Hathaway about what she buys and how it's not affected by general fashion and she showcases how it was it's like the same same exact thing where those things at the top that you don't think affect you have everything to do with everything you buy you eat you whatever and so we're all connected in that way and it was just something that I I began to really value when when you talk about educating yourself because I'm someone who finds a ton of this very interesting like I no seriously like I my friends label me a walking encyclopedia for information like one of the things that I love talking about is the topic of race and how um like uh blacks people of color you know etc have been it's so bad right now and people like to kind of whitewash it with this just they like to pretend it doesn't exist. And a lot of the, the ways that I found out how, how racist America really was, like as we talk about, we know about segregation, we know about Jim Crow laws, but there's just so much, it goes so much deeper than just the topics that we learn in school. And uh, I just, I guess I'm, I, I love educating myself, but as for, uh, I think some people have trouble doing that, not because they don't want to, but because they don't have like the sources of information. Uh, what, so I'm wondering what, uh, sources, uh, do you have that you found, uh, helpful and useful? Oh gosh, that's, that's an interesting question. Cause for me, it's mostly been the people in my life. Okay. I, I made an active effort to start and, and this isn't like, oh, I, I went out searching for, you know different friends but when I moved to <laughs> when I moved to LA um I spent the first like nine months in my comfort zone mm-hmm. and it I wound up splitting from the girl who I started Girls Behind the Rock show with and I and I took the company and I realized at that time that I didn't really know as many things as I wanted to about the world and the way it works and so my friend group you know naturally started becoming way more diverse as I branched out of the comfort of just that pop punk scene 
And as it became more diverse, I just naturally started learning about things that I didn't know before. And in the process of starting Girls Behind the Rock show, I was educated by a lot of women of color. But really, it's just about sending um, the, about getting ourselves into a place of like, like, awareness and awareness comes from the things around you it comes from actively looking to be educated it comes from googling things it comes from clicking on the hashtags of the names of the people who've been shot by cops and reading the stories it it comes from those personal anecdotes it comes from studying the music that you love and seeing where it came from and you know I did a term paper in eighth grade about racetracks it didn't start off that way but it started off as something about rock and roll in the 1950s and then it became completely and solely about racetracks because that's really what built it and so we you have to kind of look at it in the way where you say okay let me delve deeper if this is something that I'm told if we accept this as fact why do we accept it as fact and where did it come from And that's just always been part of my natural curiosity as a person. And I think that's where I found my best information was just being willing to look at that stuff. I also, um, I have a unique family situation where um, my my half-brother is a person of color. Okay. um, And he's half half Filipino. And he raised me on anime. And I spent time with his the other side of his family a decent amount growing up so I was inducted into like that Filipino Asian culture a little bit growing up and I also was born in California so I had a bit more exposure um but I think when I'm looking at sources to do that I just I try to look at the people that I love I try to look at the sources that the internet gives me I mean it, it it's dependent and it's also about access a lot of people don't have access to some of the content that I do, whether it be through my job at the marketing agency that I do multicultural marketing at, or whether it be through when I was in school, you know, all those extra websites and articles that you get and read that I printed out and that I keep. Um, But it's just having that natural curiosity and, and wanting to know more and asking the people around you. And honestly, if you have friends of color and you have a genuine question and you know how to ask it in a respectful way, most people are open to having the conversation about race as long as you're willing to shut up when you need to shut up. Wow. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. No, I'm sorry. I, I talk so no, much. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good. I just sometimes don't, uh, some of those things, you know, it's, you learn so much and it's just, you don't know how to respond in a certain way. I mean, I had a, uh, I, I feel like for a lot of people, it could be an, a, a taboo conversation because I, our, um, the community that I live in, uh, just based on my history is, so I grew up in a predominantly like white suburb, generic, like, community like if you saw like if you saw a person of color you were shocked just because that was the general tone and are you in cleveland um not anymore no uh but um i just i actually moved there for six months now i live in detroit but i I grew up in avon lake no shit okay yeah that's awesome yeah so i was born in san jose california but then i grew up in avon lake okay yeah yeah no i was gonna move there 
But that was one of the things I think I noticed when I did live in Cleveland, or even now that I live in Southfield, uh, it's, is that it, it is predominantly, you know, person of color. And just, uh, so going back to that, I think, uh, like there are just certain, like, again, I'm an Uber and Lyft driver. So there's certain conversations that I love to have with people that, uh, some people I think I, I feel more comfortable asking just based on the tone of the, the ride or whatever. And my, and our maintenance guy is actually at my apartment uh, complex is actually, uh, he's, uh, he's black and he was we were talking about something he's one of the more like uh, conservative person not in views but in terms of like how much he shares you know he doesn't like to get into he's not very like outspoken like liberally and uh he i just remember it being a very like taboo kind of uncomfortable situation for us to have but it's something that i think when it's had in a healthy manner and you do understand that this isn't your place to speak on if you aren't if you haven't directly been affected by it, then, you know, it's a conversation that I think people need to start having. Yeah, 100%. And it's the same thing with sexism. It's like, it's like the big abortion debate or like even like debating women in music or whatever it may be. The, the amount of times that I've gotten men who've come up to me and been like, well, you know, if, if you did this, people would want more women in the industry. And I looked at them and I'm like, yeah, and if, you know, cats barked I would probably like them more but that's not the situation <laughs> like it's just like you can't ask me to inherently not be a woman in a certain way just because it makes you feel more comfortable working with me and it's the same thing with people of color or with people in the LGBTQ community like being being a bi woman I have gotten fetishized so many times like me me and my best girlfriend here in LA we are bi and we are like platonic life partners. We are way too close for a lot of people's comfort. But we are platonic friends. And we've always been that way. And yet there have been so many times where I've heard jokes made from dudes who are trying to hit on her or me. Um, I usually don't tell her because she'll fight. But about just us and our bisexuality and I'm like we're not here to service you and that's the thing that people really don't get is that being a minority isn't like it's not like a cool brand that you wear right it's not a it's a lived experience that you and other people collectively have at the hands of people who don't want to understand the way the world works for you and so when we talk about this stuff and when we talk about women in music and women of color in music, you have an immediate strike against you walking into this industry. And if you're a woman of color, you have two. And you have to work two, three, four, five times harder to prove that you have earned your slot. And a lot of men think that that's the way it should be because you have to prove you can hang with the boys rather than the boys learning how to control their own behavior. And that is really an innate issue. And so that's an applicable issue to most things, to most industries, to most problems. But we get down to it and it's like, who, who gets the most benefit out of this if I'm left out? And 98% of the time it's a white man. 
And so we really have to be more aware of how we tackle these issues that we're not just sitting there saying, okay, well, let's put more women in the job. It's let's put more women in the room and give them a voice and put more women on the lineup and give them a voice. Right, because it's not just about tokenism either. You know, you can't just have like a woman on your staff and then be like, oh, we're good, we cleared it. It's not like a tally or a check mark. Because I feel like that sometimes can be what, like it's, it's not, I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah, it's so much more than that. It's, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the best example I can think of recently that was like really cool to see people start getting on board with was the live action Mulan, mm-hmm. right? Everybody flipped out because the songs aren't in it. The people of China were extremely offended by the cartoon version of Mulan. It was, like, actually insulting to them. I'm pretty sure Disney had to issue an apology. Oh, my God. It really took away from the actual story, which, if by the way, if anybody is still listening to this, you should definitely go read the poem of Fa Mulan. It's a really cool poem. It's a really cool story, just, like, the passage of it. Um, But the story that it's based off of is, like, a really enriched Chinese folklore that they respect and value very much. And Disney kind of just totally embellished it. This is very similar to what they did with Pocahontas. And so we kind of look at that and then all of a sudden people are like, well, they're not putting Mushu in it. They're not singing the songs. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. But then you watched the trailer and she kicks so much ass in that trailer. And so many people came out and were like, yeah, maybe Disney changed it, but they changed it for the right reason. Because right. it was insulting to somebody else. And so I saw a lot more people be super respectful of that fact because then they looked at it and said, well, how would I feel? And that's the type of energy we need to have about everything. Right. Right. Put yourself in a situation like that. I mean, even because, I mean, when you talk about abortion, like men talk all the time about, you know, they, it's, and it, again, it's, it feels like it's about controlling women because it is. It's not, like, how would you feel if someone told you that you had to, you know, you feel trapped in a, well, I I can't speak on, on that experience itself, but I can't even imagine what it would be to go through that and know that you can't have like a way out if you can't afford a child or something like that. Like I can't even fathom that idea. Well, right. And the health issues that come with pregnancy because they don't invest in studying women's health enough Mm -hmm. are astronomical. And it's the highest rate of, I think, um, uh, labor deaths or deaths while giving birth are in black women. So it's just a whole other institutional way of keeping a community down. And it's just really frustrating because, you know, you watch these rates of women who die during childbirth because doctors don't know what's wrong. And the fact that they didn't even want the child in the first place and were forced to carry it. And honestly, if you carry a baby past nine months, your light, the chance that you survive childbirth becomes way lower. It Like pregnancy 
literally is can kill people so it's a lot less about you know there's so much more to it and what it the changes that it brings into your body and the things that it does to you and also like just the fact that they don't know what causes miscarriages yet and yet 50% of all first time pregnancies end in miscarriage there's so many things that they just don't care to do studies on yet they care to force us to carry the baby so it's and and the other thing is they don't want to provide sex education so there's so many things that we could do better that we don't and that's it goes for anything and when it comes to men deciding on women in in anything whether it's politics whether it's music whether it's this or that they like to think that they know better mm-hmm. and that's just a belief that's been held for a long time that women are prone to hysteria that we're never normal that we have all these hormonal problems and all this and that and it's like sure we have a different hormonal cycle than men do because naturally that's whatever but that doesn't make us less capable nor right. does it make us less intelligent less smart less committed less hardworking, and it just gets to the point where you're really tired of being insulted because your body is different than somebody else's exactly no exactly i definitely uh just to i guess kind of wrap things up what um <laughs> what uh where can we find girls behind the rock show and how can uh other young women or women in general or non-men uh get uh get involved and find uh find out about you yeah so we are girls btrs on everything website twitter instagram um facebook i'm way too old to use snapchat so we never use it but we have one (laughs) um (laughs) uh that's where we're at we're not making a tiktok we refuse (laughs) Um, you and me both (laughs) Uh. (laughs) no we probably will end up making one because we do want to reach the gen z market of young women who want to get into music we think it's really important um but for right now i'm holding out until I can't anymore. Right. Um, but no, we're, we're on there. And um, if you want to get involved, please find us on Facebook. We You can find the Facebook group through our Facebook page. Um, you have to be not a male to get in. Uh, there's no men in the group at all. Amazing. Love yeah. that. And there's still 6,000 plus people in there. Um, That's so, insane. That's good. That's impressive. I'm very, I'm very happy to know that that goes on. Yeah, it's really cool. It makes me really happy. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find us. That's how you can get involved. We have a bunch of stuff coming down the pipeline. Um, I can't tell you what it is yet, but we're really excited about it. Uh, we're super excited for the grandson tour that we're we're doing. We're super excited for all the people that we are um, helping. We're super excited to keep growing and to continue these partnerships and these things that we have done. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, for, thank you for so being much on. for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. And uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, Shelby Chargan. Is that how you say your last yes, name? Yes, I never it is said Chargan. it. Do people ever get that wrong? <laughs> oh, all the time. I get I chagrin. I got chagrin a lot growing up because chagrin falls. Uh huh. Um, and I get Chargan a lot too. That's oh my god! How? <laughs> because it looks like that, but I would never say that. I would never think that that's a name. 
Oh my god, that's well, unbelievable. All right, that's education in America. That's beautiful. So uh, anyway, thanks again, and uh, for those listening, I appreciate you uh, sticking around for the seventy minutes of content. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and you can catch me on a new episode. I think next week. Bye.